Pack your bags, it's time to visit Las Vegas, America's capital for fun and entertainment. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Hello again and welcome to Vegas Never Sleeps. I'm Stephen Maggi. On today's show, you'll discover where to get an incredible cup of coffee and some fresh candy to go with it. You'll also experience the Vegas of old as Mos Carrazzo joins us to discuss his career as a Las Vegas musician dating back to the 1950s. All that, plus a visit with our Las Vegas insider, a trip to the Casino Legends Hall of Fame, and much more. When you visit Las Vegas, if you're in the downtown area, like everybody else, you probably want a great cup of coffee. But where? They're the typical places you can get anywhere in the United States. But when you come to Vegas, why do that? Found a great coffee stand in the D Hotel. And uh, with us is the guy that is responsible for all this, uh, Steve Mangigian. And Steve is with us. He's got a coffee company that works right out of the... um, the D. So tell us, first of all, it's only available in the morning. Is that correct? That is correct, Steve. Uh, we're open from 6 a.m. till 1 p.m. Yeah, and that's a, it's a great time. And, of course, everybody's looking for coffee. But one of the things you do, and you, there's a lot of different things you do there, but the first and most important part is the coffee's better. Why is that? Yeah, so uh, the thing that's really cool about what we do, different than most other folks, is uh, threefold. We like to call it source, roast, and brew. When we source coffee, we're sourcing coffee from some of the finest estates in the world. It first helps to understand that coffee is grown along the equator between the tropics of Cancer and Capricorn. So any landmass that falls along that band is considered a coffee-growing region. So one of the things is I myself, I go down there. As a matter of fact, in a few weeks, I'll be going down to Costa Rica to visit a producer that we work very closely with and that we have a great relationship with and that we source their coffee. Uh, And so uh, how we source the coffee is one thing that differentiates us from other folks. Uh, Secondly is how we roast the coffee. Many companies roast the coffee just to one profile, and it's usually dark, okay? Uh, For us, we try to roast the coffee to bring out the individual characteristics of that coffee based on where it's grown. Typically, African coffees are fruitier, so you know we're going to want to roast that coffee to bring out those fruity notes in in an African coffee. Uh, you know, Central American, maybe a little bit more acidic, so we might want to roast those maybe on the lighter side. Indonesian coffees, uh, darker to bring out their body and their earthy notes. So, the whole idea is to roast the coffee to the terroir, bring out the individual characteristics of that coffee. Then lastly is, of course, you can source a great coffee, you can roast a great coffee, but then if you screw up the brewing, you know, one of the things is that coffee is not a finished product. You, the consumer or the cafe, has to finish it off, either in the form of an espresso-based drink or, you know, a, a brewed coffee, drip coffee. So it helps to have good brewing practices to bring out the best of all the sourcing and the roasting. So to me, what differentiates us is the leveraging of all three of those things. Sourcing, roasting, and brewing is what gets us to that great cup of coffee. And what I think is cool is I know a lot of the coffee, big, bigger coffee chains, you're right, it always, you can almost taste it when you think about it. They all taste the same and so forth. This sounds like it gives people an opportunity 
uh, at a much uh, lower price rate to kind of do like what some people can do with fine wines. You can go in there, maybe talk to your baristas and find out what would work for them and really have an experience. I'm really glad that you said that. You know, so one thing uh, most people confuse, and this is really what we're trying to do with coffee. We're trying to elevate coffee to a level that two average people can just have a conversation. Uh, let me ask you a question. I'm going to ask the questions now. Uh, do you drink wine? Yeah, I do. Okay. I do. So when you drink wine, do you have a preference of white over red? Absolutely. I only drink red. Okay. And when you drink a red wine, what do you drink? Well, it depends, but, uh, you know, and there's kind of a price point. I mean, at some point, you know, like I say, with wines, you, you can spend hundreds of dollars. Sure but with coffee, and that's what's kind of fun We're about it. spend hundreds of dollars here. But the point here is, is that within a minute, I was able to narrow down your preferences, right. and that's really what we're trying to do with coffee. We're trying to raise and elevate the overall dialogue around coffee so that people can actually have a preference. Not what it, it shouldn't be the idea of us giving you this. It should be the idea of you exploring and figuring out what it is that you like. And our job as a coffee company or as baristas is to give you choice. And then it's up to you to figure out what you like. Yeah, and I think that's a lot of fun, you know, because, again, you can come hang around. You know, you spend in a three, four days here and really learn what kind of coffee you like and kind of go back a better consumer, really. Yeah. It really is. It's very true. Uh, it's an educational process. And you're right, Steve. I mean, the whole idea is engaging your barista and talking to them. And, you know, that's the other thing that I wanted to say. Because oftentimes, one of the things that prevents you and I from being able to learn more about what we're putting in our bodies and the coffees that we're drinking is the isolative nature of the cafe experience, which is something that I'm really trying to debunk in any type of operation that I work in. I don't want you to walk into a cafe and feel like you're a dummy because you don't know what you want or you don't know how to order what you want. Like, I want a vente blah, 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 or a grande this. You know, the whole idea, and that revolves around my philosophy around coffee, which is that coffee ought to be a warm and welcoming beverage. It ought to be approachable. It ought to be accessible. It shouldn't push people away. It should draw them in. And when you go and you visit producers in Central America, South America, all the different growing regions of the world, they're not isolating you. They're not pushing you back. So our goal is to be the conduit between what happens at the farm and what happens at the consumer level. So we want to just complete the loop, close the loop, so to speak, on that. And, uh, and that's one of the things that we're also trying to do there at the stand. Steve, another thing, you sound almost like an evangelistic uh, coffee guy. I mean, you're fired up about it. The people that work for you, are they the same way? I mean, because it's kind of, you know, I want to go get a cup of coffee. Yeah, I'm the same way. Let's go. I mean, it's like uh, I'm ready to go get a cup. I really am. I, you know, um, I had a life-changing, seriously a life-changing event happen to me when I first visited uh, Origin, okay? Uh, you know, uh, I could go into a cafe scene and I would get a particular experience, service level, may have been great, may not have been great, more often than not, not great. And I just thought to myself, here in the US, this just must be what the cafe experience is like. And when I went to Origin and saw how, uh, how humble and, and just how much they love what they do, 
I thought to myself when I got back from that origin trip, it was El Salvador. I got back and I thought to myself, wait, man, there's a huge disconnect between what's happening down here in producing countries and what's happening at the cafe level. And it, it was at that point that I said to myself, that's it. You know, this is our mission. This is what we need to do. So yeah, you could call it evangelism of some sorts, but I am, I'm very passionate and very driven about drawing people in not pushing people away. And that just seems to be, in my humble view, the biggest mistake that so many cafes make. Bring people in, educate them, and let them make choices that are going to be what's good for them. Well, you know, you think about it, Steve, uh, really, since maybe the 80s or 90s, coffee has just taken over as the go-to drink. I mean, where there were 100 bars, maybe in a few blocks, now there's 100 coffee places. Is what you're doing, and I don't know if, you know, you have friends in the business too, is this kind of like the next step we're seeing is now, you know, beyond the, the regular grind that you can see in different places, the regular brand, now we're seeing the really gourmet stuff and the really involved stuff. Is that what you're seeing? Yeah, so, you know, clearly uh, when the specialty coffee movement really took root in the late 70s, uh, Starbucks, uh, Pete's, Alfred Pete considered... Uh, one of the godfathers of specialty coffee, uh, when those scenes began to take root, you know, the natural inclination is to say, well, how can we do it better? And I believe that what's happened now is, uh, uh, you know, uh, cafes have been able to leverage how they can do things better by doing what I had mentioned earlier, which is sourcing, roasting, brewing really great coffee. And so what happens now is there is this, this, uh, this educational process that's happening and an evolution that is happening that is making people think more about what it is that they're putting in their bodies. And as they learn more about what's going on, they can make more educated decisions. And so where are they going to go? They're going to naturally go to the cafe scene that can further nourish them, not just with a great beverage, but with knowledge and education that can help them experience their coffee in a better way. So let's take this one step further then. You know, we talked about the comparisons with wine and so forth, and you're going all over the world. Are there, like, good years and bad years the same way there's in wine? And, and where are the hot spots for uh, ground these days? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a great question. Uh, so, you know, first of all, let's talk about this. We, we talked a little bit about wine. Wine has about, uh, here's some anecdotes, wine has about 800 identifiable flavor characteristics to it, okay? Uh, coffee has between 17 and 1900 identifiable flavor characteristics, right? So this whole idea, coffee is far more complex than wine. Right out of the gate, people don't realize it. They simply associate coffee with the stimulative effects that it has, right? So it's like, but... This, this whole world of coffee now opens up when you realize this, this point. So, uh, you know, this, uh, this, this whole scene just really blasts open. And uh, every coffee that's grown uh, has different characteristics to it. Uh, I'm going to use Costa Rica as an example. Uh, the region that I work with uh, in the farm that I work with, the producer that I work with in Costa Rica, it's a, it's a region called uh, Naranjo. And in Naranjo, uh, some of the best coffees grown in Costa Rica have grown in this area of Costa Rica. More with Steve Mangigian of Zingerman's Coffee in just a few moments. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Manchin. From the famous to the fascinating... 
in a climate as fun, fast, and flashy as Las Vegas. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Are you looking to save money on your prescription medications? Are your prescription costs too high? Are you paying out of pocket for your meds? Or is your copay too high? Well, if you answered yes to any of these questions, you've got to check out the RX Cut free prescription discount card. And getting your free discount card is easy. All you do is go to the website rxcutdiscounts.com. The free RX Cut prescription discount card allows you to get significant discounts on either brand name or generic prescription medications, and it also works on meds with high copays. There are no fees, no forms, no personal information needed, and the cards are active immediately. Discount cards are also good for the entire family, and they never expire. Again, to get your free discount cards, visit rxcutdiscounts.com. You may get the free discount card either by U.S. mail, email, text, or simply print out the discount card online. It's just that easy. Dear Daddy, dear Mom, I love you. I miss you. Every year, Snowball Express honors the children of fallen soldiers. Hi, everybody. I'm Tony Orlando. Join me in proudly supporting Snowball Express, a nonprofit that creates opportunities to help heal the children of our fallen heroes. We can never repay the sacrifice our soldiers have made, but we can honor them by giving back to their children. Donate now at snowballexpress.org. You may not realize it, but there's a source of renewable energy right in your neighborhood, and you're helping to power it. Today, waste management is using the resources at our disposal to create energy from waste. Enough green energy to power over one million homes. It's an idea we're proud to drive forward. From everyday collection to environmental protection. Think green. Think waste management. You are listening to Vegas Never Sleeps. I'm Stephen Maggi, and I'm talking to Steve Mangigian of Zingerman's Coffee, which is located on the casino floor of the D Hotel in downtown Las Vegas. Now, Steve, you were just telling us that traveling the world for the finest coffee is really the secret of the success of Zingerman's Coffee. Uh, it's discovering these really great spots and then figuring out, you know, okay, What's our next move? And, you know, let's get down there. Let's taste the coffees. Let's work with the producer. Let's find out ways that we can, you know, process the coffee better, sort the coffee better, so that at the end of the day, when that coffee gets up to into, into the states where we roast it, it'll be the best cup of coffee that it can possibly be. So Costa Rica would be a great example of a hot area where really great coffees are coming from. Uh, we also work with a producer in Brazil uh, called the Datera Estate. And they're probably one of the most sustainable farms on the planet in terms of repurposing everything that they take out of the ground and putting back into the ground. So uh, really good Brazil coffees are a hard find. But, you know, we do our work to find those great coffees. Also exploring some opportunities in Kenya. Uh, there have been some really cool relationships that have sprouted up that we're looking at um, you know, leveraging in, in Kenya, and then the same in Papua New Guinea. We have a really great coffee that we source from Papua New Guinea, uh, but there's opportunity to, again, strengthen the relationship that we have with the producer there and get even better coffee. 
It's outstanding. I want to tell people how they can get this. Now, first of all, before we even get into that coffee, though, you also were kind enough to bring these really incredible candy bars here. Interesting stuff. Tell us uh, what got you into this. Are you as passionate about candy as you are about coffee? You know, I think it's important to uh, to say, you know, what Zingerman's is about. So Zingerman's started as a delicatessen in 1982, okay? So that's really how we got our name to be known. Uh, if you fast forward now 35 years, Zingerman's is not just this delicatessen that was founded on great principles, but we are now a community of 10 separately owned businesses, for which Candy is one of those separately owned businesses. All of our businesses have managing partners that are very passionate about their craft. Of course, I'm the owner of the coffee company. Uh, ironically, I just happen to have uh, an equity stake in the candy company as well. However, uh, you know, candy just happens to be a great combination with coffee. So they go along really well together. So, you know, I bring this to you as a, as a token of my appreciation. And there's also just an opportunity for you to be able to taste some really great handmade candy that you just aren't going to find anywhere else in the country. It happens. We don't sell it at the coffee stand uh, at the D, but we do sell it. It is sold in the gift shop at the D. So although, uh, you know, you won't be able to find it right there in the stand, you will be able to find it in the gift shop. But yeah, I'm passionate about all of our businesses within our organization, not just because of our passion towards full-flavored, traditionally-made foods, but it's also the way in which we approach our business. Uh, we're a triple bottom line company, which means we don't measure success on one bottom line, which most of us assess as you know just really being uh, great finance. We, we, we measure success on three bottom lines, great food, great service, and great finance. So all three of those metrics have to be operating in harmony with one another in order for us to consider that to be successful. Uh, we also practice open book management, uh, which is uh, something that's happening more and more in businesses today, and we've been doing this for years and years. So it's not just the food that we go after, but it's also the principles by which we operate our business, which is just as important as the food. Well, again, just listening to you is going to get people excited about not only the coffee and the candy. And I think it's interesting that you picked the D to go to because – this place has brought a lot of energy into downtown. Was that sort of a thing as you were looking to come here? So, you know, Derek Stevens is just an innovator, right? I mean, uh, you know, he, he just, if he sees an obstacle, he finds a way to innovate around it so that, you know, he can bring a much better experience to those that want to visit Las Vegas, Fremont Street, you know, this whole area. It's, it's just... Uh, uh, it's just bustling more and more. Uh, the quick story is, is that Derek reached out to my business partner, Paul Saginaw. Uh, Paul is one of the founding partners of our organization, the Zingerman's Delicatessen, and he knew Paul to be a person. He didn't know Paul, but he knew Paul was very well known and knew food very well. And Derek knew that he wanted to bring a really cool food and beverage experience to downtown Las Vegas, all right? So he tapped Paul and said, hey, you know, do you think you could help us out here? And Paul said, sure. So Paul put a few of, of the partners in our organization together. We flew down here. We did a brainstorming session for like a day and a half, two days. And we talked about ways in which we could make the food and beverage experience here in downtown Las Vegas even better. Uh, we concluded at the end of those meetings that one of the first ways that we should start working together is with this whole coffee thing. So the coffee stand is the first step along the lines of working more together to deliver just a much better food and beverage experience here in downtown Las Vegas. Well, it's exciting. So first, 
people, if they want to find out more about Zingerman's, where can we go online to find out even before we come out here? Yeah, for sure. Just go to uh, our website, www.zingermans.com. Uh, that'll direct you immediately to our mail order site, but it'll also give you a whole navigational toolbar to look at all of the other businesses that Zingerman's is representative of. So zingermans.com is the first place to go, and you go from there. And when we're here in Las Vegas, we go to the D. Just a reminder, tell them where they can find it, you know, because if they're looking for it, you give, <laughs> give them a little roadmap here. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, the, the stand is only set up for seven hours out of the day. So the rest of the day, it's it's sitting in a storage area. and uh, but, the, but the stand is located in the hotel lobby area near the elevator banks. So if you're looking for a great cup of coffee, just head that way and you'll be sure to find it if you're there between the hours of six and one. We will. We'll wake up with your coffee. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate the time. Let's switch gears now from the modern-day Vegas of gourmet coffee available on a casino floor. Let's instead go back in time to the Vegas of the mid-20th century. There's been a lot of changes in Las Vegas. You go back to the 40s and 50s and what happened then to what happened now. There's been all sorts of incredible changes, and we're going to talk to somebody who's seen a lot of those changes. Mo Scarazzo, a great musician that came out here. He's got an incredible background. You came, first of all, Mo, welcome to the show. You came from Pennsylvania. What brought you out to Las Vegas? Work. (laughs) You know, that's the only place you can work with Las Vegas, make a living playing music. We're up from Pittsburgh, there wasn't any work. The only thing that was there, maybe the symphony. That was it. They played weddings. So as an aspiring uh, musician then, this was kind of like the big leagues, I guess, right? Where not only was there a lot of work, but this is where you could really showcase your talents. Oh, yeah, it was great. You know, you just, I was so busy when I came into town in 56. And I was working the lounges, and uh, you'd work one gig to the other, one gig to the other, because there weren't too many musicians in town. Population was, what, 28,000, 30,000 30, then. Strip was the two-lane highway. And that was it, you know, and a lot of work. A lot of work. I worked with everybody. Well, yeah, and we're going to talk about some of those people, but kind of give us an idea. You're coming in the fifth, late 50s. And as you say, the population is nothing like it is now. I mean, it's, you can't even compare it. But even the excitement of the thing, did you just, over this time, just watch this grow and grow? And are, are you surprised now at what's happened to this town that you came to uh, half a century ago? Very surprised. Very surprised. It's completely different. Completely different. No more gigs for music, for musicians. They can't gig anywhere. There's no showrooms, uh, there's no more big bands, there's no more orchestras, there's nothing here. The string players, they used to have beautiful string sections and things, they just, where are they going to work? They they all went to L.A. trying to work there, you know, trying to to work there. There's no jobs here, nothing. So it's something then that uh, where at one time you could come here, make a living and stay here and be busy all the time. Is it now a case where they come in with whatever particular act, they do their thing, and then they leave? I mean, there's not a lot of house musicians the way there was then. No, no, there was. At one time, there was 2,000 musicians working on a strip. Wow. Lucky if you get the 20. <laughs> there's a difference, you know. It really is. 
Well, your career has been fascinating. You know, I was just looking over your bio, and uh, you know, you work with them all. Um, in the early days, a couple of people I want to talk to. For example, I noticed you work with Louis Armstrong and uh, Ella Fitzgerald, two huge talents. That was an interesting time because at that time, they they you know African Americans they couldn't even stay in town. What was that like, like working with them and so forth? Was that that must have made you really cool at the time too? You know. Oh, that was great. They weren't. They weren't allowed in the uh, in the hotel, only on the stage. When the stage, they weren't allowed in the dressing room or anything. They lived on the west side. They called it the west side, which is actually the north side. But uh, like Sammy Davis, the story with Sinatra and Sammy Davis, where it's uh, at the Sands, where they didn't want uh, Sammy staying at the Sands. And Sinatra said, well, if they don't stay here, you don't have me either. And that kind of changed stuff. But uh, before that, you know, I, I remember I was working with Billy Eckstein and his wife. And my wife got very, you know, we got very close. And so uh, they walked through the casino together and everybody was looking at, looking at him. And, and, and my wife says, why is everybody looking at us? It's the Sands. And she says, because you're with a black woman. And my wife never, it never dawned on her because we're from back east where it, it never mattered back there, you know. Here it did. Here it did. What I think would change this whole place was Fats Domino. Remember? Yeah. <laughs> he was working at a Flamingo in the lounge. And he, uh, he weren't allowed anywhere. Nowhere near the casino. If you take a break, you just have to go down the basement. They had an old dressing room for them down the basement. And Count Basie's band also. But anyway, <laughs> Fazdomo, he went out on the table like at 2 o'clock in the morning and dropped like ten or $20,000. So to keep him working there, they picked up his option all the time because he kept dropping it. And so then they said, oh, well, it's all right. You can stay at the hotel. Well, I mean, it's definitely a, a, a different world right now. But, oh. you know, and, and I find that interesting that when you came from back east where – you know, nobody even gave that a thought. So really then, I guess, in the Las Vegas of that town, even though there was all this big, big-name entertainment, it still actually was like one of these like small Western towns that really w didn't match what was going on in the entertainment world. There was work everywhere. A musician that came here, you know, they can, there was gigs all over town. Like I said, I used to work two, two three jobs a day. I mean, for years, for 10 years, you know. My wife used to bring me clean shirts to change in between shows and stuff like that. You know, it was just busy, just busy. So much work, it was ridiculous. Now well, you can't find a job. Well, yeah, and you worked with everybody. I wanted to talk with you about a few of these people. Um, did you have any particular favorite? We're going to get into Dean Martin because I think that's really interesting. But I know you worked with Bobby Darren, Vic Damone, Jack Jones. Uh, did you have any particular favorites? You my boy, you loved when they came into town that – just as a musician, they kind of challenged you. Well, I loved working with Dino because he was very, very private. He never bothered you. He just wanted to be left left alone. He was a beautiful man. I loved working for him. You know, Jack Jack Jones was great. They were great, great singers, good people, you know. Bobby Darren, he was fair. <laughs> he was a fair guy. You know, he's big, big-headed. He wanted to be another Sinatra, you know. But I don't think he ever got there, you know. 
You talked about uh, Dean Martin, and we have this vision. You know, we, people play the old Rat Pack things. You know, where he's direct from the bar and all that sort of thing. I understand though; he wasn't. Uh, he could handle his alcohol actually quite well. Well, he always had a, a glass. Everybody thought it was booze in a glass on the piano. Actually, it was apple juice. You know, it was really apple juice, and he would have a sip of that. You know, and he would have a, he'd have a drink. You know, you know, before he, to the audience, you know, here's to you and his drink, you know. That's Dino. He's a very private man, very private. And, of course, you worked with his partner, too, Jerry Lewis, a uh, partner before he oh. went huge. And doing the telethons, I really wanted to ask you about that. So I know Jerry Lewis doesn't have the same uh, personality that Dean has. What was that like? Well, I did about, I did uh, 20, 20 telethons, you know, and uh it was great. It was great. What I found out was uh, Jerry Lewis. He was a good, you know, good, good performer naturally and everything. But he was different. I mean, he was Jerry Lewis. Was Jerry Lewis? You know, it's, uh, I can't say much about that. You know. Well, I mean, do you, are you saying he? Is, I understand he's got a reputation of being a little hard to work with. Was he? Was he difficult to work with, or was that something that you let the other people deal with? Well, no, with the orchestra. See, those guys never, maybe with the owners or maybe with as far as the money's concerned, but not with the orchestra. The entertainers was always pretty good with the band. They were always very good with the orchestra. They never bothered you too much, you know. Unless you're a goofball, you come in drunk or high or stoned, then, you know, they don't want you around. I don't blame them. That's an interesting point. Uh, you know, people think of musicians, even in the early days, as, you know, some of them would dabble into drugs. Did you get much of that there? You know, did you see a lot of that there where these guys would come and go? Or were these people uh, more, um, you know, people that went home to their wives at the end of the day, that kind of thing? That's that they went home to their wives at the end of the day. We had families raising kids. It was like normal, normal life. You know, you get a paycheck every week, you go to work, you get a paycheck every week. It was beautiful. Beautiful. Well, and you saw Vegas uh, jump, and I think, um, in fact, you, you worked with B- Bally's back in the uh, 80s, and then uh, when the new MGM opened, I understand you did some things there too. Was that kind of the start, Mo, of uh, the, the today's generation with these super mega hotels that are huge and so forth? Is that when you were starting to see the change? You know what I mean? Exactly. That's what, well, I became the musical director of Bally's. In 88, 1988, I was on the band there, and the band leader, uh, Tommy Moses, passed away. But I used to do, I was like his kind of contractor. So when he passed away, so they made me the musical director. I stayed there for 14 years. Then then from there, I went in 95 when uh, the MGM opened. I went there too. So I was doing both of them. Then Belly found out about it and didn't like that. So, like, they naturally, but there wasn't any music. There wasn't any more bands to hire. There wasn't any musicians to hire anymore because showroom went to tapes. They went to tapes. Yeah. There wasn't, you know, which they were using tapes. And they wanted me to, uh, the music that we were playing. The Jubilee, the mm-hmm. Jubilee show. Okay, they went. They had a full orchestra downstairs in the down the basement. I saw them when they were in the showroom. They were visible, you know, real nice. And then they moved them 
down the basement. I figured, oh, well, something's going on here, <laughs> you know. They moved them down the basement. Then they moved them out. Wow. Then they start tape music. Wow. And that was at that point, there really was nothing left to do, right? That was, that's right. That was left. I remember I was at the musicians' union. They have a, the hotels. See, I, I became management, but I really I was always a musician. I was always a union man and a musician. You know, I was my whole life. But I remember when I went to the uh, to a meeting at the hotel, all the execs and stuff, and they're talking about tape music. So I I went to the musicians' union and I told them, "Hey guys, next negotiations, be careful." I says, like, don't ask for too much. Just leave it like it is. You were only doing one show because they went to one show a night. I said, let's just do one show a night. You're making a thousand bucks a week, one show a night, six six days a week, you know, plus benefits, health and welfare, pension, you know. Or your management, Mo, you know, now you're your management, you know, you're big shot, you know, you're telling us that. I says, if you don't do that, you're going to be sitting home watching television. And that's exactly what happened. It's incredible. Final question, Bo. Uh, you know, you've been out of it for a little while, but you live here. This is your town and so forth. Is there anything that's out there today that, boy, that is one thing that I would recommend people to come visit when they come out to Vegas? Do you have anything like that in particular that if people can look, see one thing that you'd recommend? Not really. <laughs> no, I mean, this, this, the shows are all different. You go there, what is it? People flying in the air. I mean, there's nothing musical, you know, really musical. We just, except like, uh, just like uh, Steve was saying, you know, that uh, down, downtown at the, uh, what's the name of the place you were just talking about? Gold yeah. Oh, the Gold Nugget was a good spot upstairs. Was Sinatra was up there and there. That was a great spot. There was music everywhere there. Now there's nothing going on. Mo, thank you so much for uh, talking with us today. I really appreciate that. Thanks a lot. I'm getting older and uh, hard for me to talk anymore. Coming up next, we will visit with our Las Vegas insider, Scott Robin of VitalVegas.com. Our topic this week is a year-end look at what's coming up in Las Vegas in the year 2017. We'll also visit the Casino Legends Hall of Fame and talk to its founder, Steve Cutler, about the variety of artifacts that make up the Hall of Fame's collection. You won't believe this, so stay tuned. You are listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. World-class hotels, dining, gaming, special events, and more. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Forgotten Heroes, the independent film that Hollywood refused to distribute. They were asked to risk their lives in order to save their enemy. The producers of Forgotten Heroes are donating 25% of all sales to the American Veterans Disabled for Life Memorial Fund. We need someone to go in there and bring them out. From first-time director Jack Marino, the home run for America's Vietnam veteran. They are Forgotten Heroes. Buy the DVD now at ForgottenHeroesTheMovie.com. That's ForgottenHeroesTheMovie.com. 
I'm here with Logan Reed, my own personal business coach that does so much more than just business. Logan, do you find that people come to you thinking about business and ended up leaving where it's really about their entire life? That's actually a great question because what I find is that people often come to me and ask, am I a business coach? Am I a career coach? Am I a life coach? And I say, I don't care what you call me because when you change any part of your life, so if we're talking about your career or your relationship, it's going to change everything. So when we make changes in one part, it touches every part of our life. So how do we get involved? How do we get more information about about you and what you're doing? Sure. You can give me a call at 360-529-1848 or email me at logan at loganreadcoaching.com. And you could also check out my website if you want to learn more about me at loganreadcoaching.com. Waste management has earth-friendly plans that fit the biggest corporations and recycling programs to help smaller companies get started. We're there for you every night and on the job with you every day. When you put waste management to work, you get an environmental partner and big ideas for every size business. From everyday collection to environmental protection, think green, think waste management. To learn more, visit WM.com. Time now for another visit with our very own Las Vegas insider, Scott Robin from VitalVegas.com. Scott is on top of all things concerning Las Vegas, and he's your personal guide to what's happening in Vegas. In this last quarter, is there anything we should be on the lookout for that uh, will be happening down here that, you know, we want to get a jump on? In Vegas overall? Uh, I'm going to say... Boy, that's an interesting question. There's, I think everybody's watching these new casino developments, the ones that have been announced but not really happening, like Resorts World and Elon. I think uh, it's there have been some shifts in Asian investment market, and they're kind of the invisible players in Vegas because that's where a lot of the financing comes from, this EB-5 financing where uh, if you're from another country, you can donate half a million dollars to a project that's going to create employment opportunities and you can get your uh, a visa. So a lot of that has dried up. So a lot of these companies that have put a lot of stock in that kind of investment, it's not really happening. The other thing that's happening is because of the crackdown on uh, corruption in China, a lot of those whales that supported a lot of these casinos are just aren't coming. So some of them, uh, some of them could sway a casino's whole uh, bottom line from red to green or green to red or whatever the color they are, red to black, whatever. They could influence that. A, an individual player could determine whether a casino is going to lose or make money in a given month or year. Uh, so I think that's changing. That trend is changing too. Uh, those folks just aren't as readily available. So it'll be interesting to see a place like Lucky Dragon that's going to appeal to Asian players, Asian high rollers, if that happens or if that's just gone away. So I don't know. There's a lot going on. There's uh, there's also this question of music festivals. Uh, the Life is Beautiful Festival is happening downtown in a week or two. 
And there's another one that allegedly will be coming back, Rockin' Rio. Uh, and these are big question marks because music festivals can't seem to find a footing in Vegas. They're losing money. Uh, and in, in the case of Rock and Rio, it was a one-off, but lost a huge amount of money. Lost enough to build a casino. So I think that's another thing that Vegas is trying, but I, I don't see a clear direction there. But it's, that's to me, that's something to watch because it seems a natural for it. And you've got a, the other thing is there are some new entertainment venues that are, that are coming online. The T-Mobile Arena is finding its footing. It is attracting a lot of people to Las Vegas with big name acts and a space that really just has, has not been there before. I mean, world-class acts uh, like like Rolling Stones and groups of that of that nature that Vegas haven't they haven't really played that much here because it's not big enough or for whatever reason. So uh, there's also this Park Theater at the Monte Carlo, and um, I, I think it's it'll be interesting to see how the competition between those different venues uh, plays out because there's only a certain number of big name entertainers that you can go after and i i have seen personally that the cost of entertainment is going up because it's very competitive you you've got you're you're in a bidding war for some of these big name acts and that means the ticket prices go up so that's that's a tricky one too the other big news in vegas of course is the potential of the raiders coming to vegas uh, there's big debate going on about a potential stadium and the the move of the Raiders to Vegas. A lot of people interested in that, not me. However, it's a very pricey project, so that I would also say is a good thing to keep an eye on because it's gonna it's gonna have a big impact on sports travelers, people who are gonna see their hometown team playing in Vegas and they potentially could come to Vegas to see them play. Where do we find John Wine? You can find me online. I uh, I do a blog. VitalVegas.com is the blog. I, would, I love when people come by and take a look. I can be tweeted to. All the kids are doing it at VitalVegas. And I can be emailed Scott at VitalVegas.com. I sometimes answer questions. I also have a podcast. So I suggest people find that and listen to it and dislike it like everybody else who listens to it. Time now for our very own time machine as we go back into the history of Las Vegas with the founder and curator of the Casino Legends Hall of Fame, Steve Cutler. Don't forget to check out the Hall of Fame online at CasinoLegendsHallOfFame.com. I recommend you go spend some time on the website right away to get a feel for it, but as I look at some of this memorabilia... Talk a little about some of the odd things. And when I say odd, I mean, they're very cool. It's just something you wouldn't think of. But you have things here like canceled checks with with very famous celebrities of the past signatures. on. That's the way business was done then. Uh, there's dishes. There's, you know, co- collectibles of every type. What are you looking for? Because there's just so many different things here. Well, basically what I'm trying to do is tell the story of the most iconic city in the world. Las Vegas, and we tell it from the beginning. So any type of artifact that helps tell that story is something that I want to include. And that can be anything from uh, newspapers, original newspapers from the 
you know, turn of the century, Las Vegas newspapers to gold and silver and an old horse blanket currency. Uh, it could be, uh, well, I'll give you an example of something that's very difficult to collect, and that would be a hotel's gaming license. Not an employee's, but the actual gaming license for the building. I have over 200 different ones going back to the 1940s. These are all unique, one-of-a-kind items. Uh, very difficult to get anybody to give you their gaming license, even if it is expired. <laughs> Once again, please visit the Casino Legends Hall of Fame at CasinoLegendsHallOfFame.com. There's no spaces, no lines, just one big, long word. You are listening to America's audio visit to Las Vegas on Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Manji. Visit us at VegasNeverSleeps.com. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. What can you do to prevent mosquitoes from spreading West Nile virus? The most important thing you can do is get rid of standing water on your property now. That's where mosquitoes breed. Don't leave standing water in outside pet water bowls, old tires, potted plants, anything that holds stagnant water. Dump birdbath water and replace every two or three days. Drain and cover unused swimming pools. Let's do it together and hit mosquitoes where they breed. Learn how at beyondpesticides.org mosquito. A public service message from Beyond Pesticides. This year, more than 172,000 people will be told they have lung cancer. Lung cancer. 60% will wonder why, why, as they never smoked or quit smoking years ago. Lung cancer will kill 163,000 people this year. More people than breast, prostate, colon, liver, and kidney cancers combined, making it by far America's number one cancer killer. Cancer killer. But there is hope. New treatments are available and more are on the way. The Lung Cancer Alliance is working to focus attention and research on lung cancer to develop early detection tools and more treatment options. Lung Cancer Alliance is leading the charge as the only organization solely dedicated to providing support, resources, and a voice for people touched by lung cancer and those at risk for the disease. Join us in the fight against lung cancer. The time has come. No more excuses. No more lung cancer. To learn more, visit lungcanceralliance.org or call 1-800-298-2436. As you may already know, trees do more than beautify our world. They help clean the air of carbon dioxide, a major greenhouse gas. As North America's largest recycler, last year alone, waste management recycled enough paper to save over 41 million trees. How's that for thinking green? From everyday collection to environmental protection, think green, think waste management. As we get ready for 2017, there is one thing we know for sure. There will be hockey in Las Vegas. But before the first puck drops, what do we have to look forward to? 
Let's ask the Review Journal's hockey writer, Steve Karp. With the team now, the NHL is going to have one season to go through before they actually start dropping the puck. Now, they've, you mentioned they started the, the scouting part and some of the building and the inner workings. What are some of the things the fans can look forward to over this next time until we get ready for the preseason next year? They've got to get players. They have to get a coach. And um, the coach they probably are not going to hire until sometime in the spring. They'll see who's out there, see if there's anybody who gets fired this season that they might want to take a long look at hiring. Uh, there's some other candidates who are already coaching elsewhere that they might want to pursue. Um, the expansion draft on June 20th of 2017 will be a big, big day because that will be the day they can get their first 30 players. And then the amateur draft, the entry draft, which is the following week in Chicago, they will get their first seven young amateur players from. And then, of course, they're going to sign a whole bunch of you know, free agents and and uh, try out contracts and, and get enough players for their development camp in July. And then when they go to training camp in, all, in September, their new practice facility should be open, which will be located on the west side of downtown Summerlin near the shopping center, which will have two sheets of ice and will also be the headquarters for the team. So everything's going to be in one spot. And by then... It's time to drop the puck. The schedule will be out, and they'll know who they're playing at T-Mobile. And uh, the nice thing for them is they don't have to worry about selling tickets. They do have to sell the game, I think. And I think they want to do a good job, especially in our Latino community. I'm hoping they will broadcast their games in Spanish on the radio. I'd like to see them even broadcast their games in Mandarin or in, in some sort of Asian tongue for our Asian uh, residents who, who might want to support the team and, and learn to grow the game. We have a large Filipino population here as well as uh, um, Chinese and, and Japanese and stuff. So these are all opportunities that I'm sure whoever they hire to be their president of business operations will look long and hard at. So there's still a lot of selling to be done and educating the public here. Not everybody's an expert on hockey, although I think our fan base here is a lot smarter than people elsewhere give us credit for having. I mean, a lot of people have come from others. Myself, I'm from New York originally. I grew up with the Rangers. I played. I know the game. People from Boston, from Minnesota, from Chicago, from Pittsburgh, Philly, uh, even from California have grown up with the Kings or the Ducks or the Sharks. Uh, they know the game. So we're not... We're not totally naive about hockey here. You can read Steve Karp's hockey coverage all year round at ReviewJournal.com. When we return, we will discuss New Year's Eve in Las Vegas. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Is there something you've always wanted to know about Las Vegas? Drop us a line at info at VegasNeverSleeps.com. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. You'd never suspect that you could find natural beauty as part of a working landfill. You can. 
Today, waste management landfills provide more than 17,000 acres of protected land for wildlife habitats. Working closely with communities and the Wildlife Habitat Council, we can ensure there will be protected space for native animal and plant life to thrive. From everyday collection to environmental protection, think green, think waste management. I'm here with Logan Reed, my own personal business coach. You know, a lot of people may think this is all a bunch of psychobabble and that kind of thing. But in reality, this is stuff that on the surface may seem like we're going to explore our background. But actually, we're just getting really in touch with ourselves to see how we can be more successful. Is that what you try to do with people? It is. So I'm not so interested in what's happened in the past. What I'm looking for is where people are now, where they want to be, and coaching always takes place in the gap. So what are the things, where are the places where they're getting stopped that's in that gap? And then when we move through those, they end up having what they want, whatever their goal is for themselves. Okay, we're all excited about it now. So how do we get involved? How do we get more information about about you and what you're doing? Sure, you can give me a call at 360-529-1848 or email me at logan at loganreadcoaching.com. And you could also check out my website if you want to learn more about me at loganreadcoaching.com. Forgotten Heroes, the independent film that Hollywood refused to distribute. They were asked to risk their lives in order to save their enemy. The producers of Forgotten Heroes are donating 25% of all sales to the American Veterans Disabled for Life Memorial Fund. We need someone to go in there and bring them out. From first-time director Jack Marino, the home run for America's Vietnam veterans. They are Forgotten Heroes. Buy the DVD now at ForgottenHeroesTheMovie.com. That's ForgottenHeroesTheMovie.com. Maybe it's much too early in the game. Ah, but I thought I'd ask you just the same What are you doing, New Year's? New Year's Eve New Year's Eve in Las Vegas is wild. And I mean in a really good way. You go down, the entire strip is shut down to traffic, and it becomes one giant block party. 300,000 folks are there reveling, yelling, screaming. It's like nothing you've ever seen before. Then midnight hits, and the casinos launch a choreographed fireworks display that's unreal. You look around, and there's different fireworks all over the sky as a number of different casinos do it. It's really a lifetime memory that you'll never get anywhere else in the world. Now, if you're going to go, you better book immediately. And if you haven't booked by now, you may be thinking about New Year's Eve 2017. But if you are going this year, there is very little time for you. There's a lot to see. There are parties all over. The Hard Rock Cafe, for example, has a big party. But if you like country music, you go to Gillies. If you want to see something incredible, watch the fireworks from the High Roller Observation Wheel, which is really wild. Uh, everybody does some. There's some great shows going on, too. Maybe my favorite is the great Elton John. John at Caesars. What a way to bring in the new year. As well, we've got the Love Circuit de Soleil at the Mirage. That's a 
New Year's Eve with the Beatles, so to speak. And if you like the old stuff, why the Rat Pack is back over at the Tuscany Suites and Casino. They're doing a show. That's with uh, Frank, Dean, and Sammy lookalikes and soundalikes. They're doing a show for New Year's Eve as well. So with that, a couple of tips. And whether you go this year or in the year's future, you want to remember these things. So First of all, the biggest key is to plan ahead. Plan where you're going to be. Make those reservations as soon as you can. And you're probably not going to want to walk around too much. You know, it's easier to hang in the hotel that you stayed at, go to the parties, and so forth. Another thing to do is if you're going to party on the Strip, you got to get there real early, okay? It's not one of those things where you show up at 1145. Traffic is a mess, so Figure out where you're going to stand, whatever, go have fun, and don't plan on leaving early because that place is a mess to get out of as well. So just have fun, take your time, and at two or three hours later, that might be the time to take off. If you want to get around it all during all these activities, the best way, you know, again, automobiles are terrible for this, but you can get around by taxi, you can walk, or maybe the best idea is using the Las Vegas monorail. There's a couple of different monorails on each side of the strip, so you can go back and forth between places if you want, but that's the easiest way to uh, get on on the strip. Now, if you're going to spend New Year's at downtown and that's a whole bunch of fun a different kind of fun that party takes place under the lighted canopy of the fremont street experience and that has kind of that new york times square feel where everybody's together they're all looking at the same screen above their heads and so forth really a blast and uh, if you're not into the huge throngs of people thing you want to have fun there are clubs and shows around town that you can go there and just stay with a particular group of friends i hope you have a great new year's For the next couple of weeks, we're going to play a couple of our best shows from 2017. Then we will return with all new shows in January. So, everybody, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and remember, everyone, Vegas never sleeps. We'll see you next week for more excitement and energy from the desert. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi.